What's the first thing you do in 2022 when you need something done, but you're not sure where to get it? You Google it, right? You need a plumber, you Google it. You need a mortgage, you Google it. You need a car detail or an oil change, you Google it. If your business doesn't show up in the top three or even on the first page in general, when I Google something, chances are you're not getting my business. Actually, you're definitely not getting my business. It's that simple. Maybe you do show up, but you only have one review that was left by a customer in 2015. Well, you're not getting my business either. Websites by Students is a company that's here to help solve modern website issues for small and medium-sized businesses. The team at Websites by Students builds custom WordPress websites for small and medium-sized service businesses. Every website is 100% custom built, which means you tell them what you want on the site and they build it exactly to your needs. Every website comes equipped with Google Suite functionality, meaning the Google Map, Google integration is all built in right from the start. Their prices are incredibly affordable and their team is super professional to work with. They can build you a brand new website in under three weeks and that comes with unlimited revisions. So they'll send you the first draft. If you don't like it, tell them to fix it as long as you want until the site looks exactly the way that you want it. They won't publish anything until it's perfect and you want it built the way that you want it. The best part about it is that every website package comes with one year worth of free website management. So six months after you get this site built, if you want to update something, whether it's copywriting or you own a restaurant and you want to add to your menu, just tell the team at Websites by Students to do it. They'll turn that around in under 48 hours and get that website updated for you to your exact specifications. It gets even better. Websites by Students is a purpose-driven organization. A portion of every website they build goes to a scholarship fund to help fight student debt for as many college students as they can. If you visit websitesbystudents.com today, fill out the contact form and mention the Get It Done podcast. You'll save 20% on your next website project. That could be as much as $500 worth of savings. And that $500 is more than likely going into that scholarship fund to help fight student debt. Visit websitesbystudents.com today to get your new website built or get your existing website updated so that it shows up on the first page of Google, if not the top three. Their goal is to make you number one. Call them today, visit their website, mention our podcast, save 20%. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Get It Done podcast. I'm Joe Zanke, your host, co-founder, COO of On Demand Storage. And today I'm with my guest, Mike Murchison of Ada. Mike, what's going on? Hey, Joe. Great to be here. It's awesome to have you, man. It's awesome to have you. I've been um, doing a little bit of research on you and, um, and your company. And, um, you know, it's amazing to see how rapidly you guys are expanding and growing and all the cool stuff you're doing. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to have you on here. Tell us a little bit about that. But also, you know, just to start, why don't we talk a little bit about you personally and, um, and your story and your come up to, you know, being the CEO of now what is, you know, a rapidly growing 250 plus person company. Sure. Yeah. Happy to, happy to share. I guess I fell in love with, uh, with company building at a pretty young age. I, um, I guess starting in, in college or really maybe even a little bit before I, um, I, I kind of learned about myself that what I love doing is learning. And I, I think I, I associated sort of the difficulty of a challenge with the afforded learning opportunity. And I, cu I couldn't think of anything really harder to do than to start a company. It just seemed like a really daunting and impossible thing. You're going 
you're going to build a business. You're going to convince other people to join you. The business is going to like make money somehow. And right. then you're going to somehow like continually, you know, learn how to build something that changes, um, you know, every, every couple months. And I became pretty fascinated about that. And I, and I, I started building companies. Um, and, you know, I started first with, with a company that was all about making it easier to invest in the stock market. Um, because I, I felt like it was way too hard to invest in the stock market. Mm. And uh, it, it felt like it was a fundamentally basic concept that a lot of fancy stock market people make unnecessarily complicated. And that completely failed, but I learned a lot about how to do customer development and how to uh, get out of the building as, as Steve Boink, uh, who very much inspired me in the early days, um, you know, set, set, tells everyone to do. For those who don't know, Steve Boink, is really the the father of the lean startup movement. And if, if anyone's read the Lean Startup by Eric Reese, uh, which I highly recommend, Steve Blank is Eric Reese's mentor. Most of the ideas in in the Lean Startup are actually um, are actually at least inspired by Steve Blank. He wrote a book called uh, uh, I think it's Three Steps or some some number of steps to Epiphany, and that's a, just a, a really seminal I think entrepreneurship read. Anyway, I was reading that a lot, and I. Um, I, I was trying to build this this company that made it easier to invest in the capital markets, and I and I, I just learned how to talk to customers. Uh, I learned that the the way the, the way to build something or to get closer to building something of value was to get out of your own head, get out of the building physically, and go on the street and start talking to people. Right. And uh, that that's what I did with with that effort. And then, you know, I the second company I, I tried was was all about. Uh, I guess you could say um, restaurant loyalty. I was very interested in in like getting people into. Now that I was out talking to a bunch of people in the real world, I was really interested in like how do we get people in restaurants to come back to restaurants, and how do we use this new thing called mobile phones and mobile apps to get people to, you know, go back to the same restaurant. So sure. I uh, I spent a lot of time building mobile games that people would play in restaurants oh, wow. and the restaurants could offer as almost like an interactive loyalty program, right. earn points, you know, you, it's like a digital scratch card, that kind of stuff. And I spent a lot of time hanging out in restaurants, watching people not play my games. I would be like surreptitiously hanging in the corner, eating my burger. <laughs> Someone would go look at the loyalty, like game sign, you know, not use it <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, eat a burger next to me. And I'd casually ask them, you know, Hey, you know what? What do you think of that sign? Why didn't you, why didn't you, you know, download the app? And I learned, I learned a lot about building for mobile. That was the first, second attempt that that failed. Um, and then the, the third attempt was was all about social recommendations. I found myself, you know, in all these different restaurants, and I started realizing, hey, these restaurants are telling me a story. You know, these these restaurants are are representative of something about me. Um, and I think we know this intuitively be true. Like your favorite, if you were to list your top five favorite restaurants, yeah. Joe, like I'm sure that they, they, they're, they're probably pretty different than, you know, 
they're probably pretty similar to your friend's top five favorite restaurants sure. and yeah, probably definitely. pretty different from like, you know, someone, your nemesis's top five. Right. Uh, right. Or just different age demographics, you know, female, male, you know, it's just like, um, yeah. yeah, mine would probably be like sports bars. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm sure there are, you know, other people that I've even had on this podcast that would have completely different answers. <laughs> so yeah, you're exactly. right. Exactly. So I was very interested in almost like the fingerprint that your favorite places offer you or provide you or tell about you. And, and um, I ended up building this social network that was all about your favorite places, allowed you to put your favorite places on a map, share videos and comments and pictures of your favorite spots, you know, your reviews, but share it within like an exclusive private network of your, your friends. And this was in the early days of, of iOS apps and, and uh, really like mobile, like mobile experiences. And I had to just had to learn a ton about how to build a, a B2C, you know, mobile company and how to build, you know, for how to, how to like build uh, and engage user base. And um, that was just totally fascinating. And we ended up building something that ended up looking, uh, you know, it was pretty early on, but you know, Foursquare and Yelp ended up doing a lot of what um, you know we were doing in the very early days, mm-hmm. and we had some success with that company. We ended up we ended up selling the the, the business. Um, it wasn't a, a huge story or a huge success for everyone, but it was it was a really nice. It was a great learning opportunity. It felt like to, great to get a win under our belts. And I learned a lot about going through an acquisition process. And I learned a lot about the pain of letting go of your baby. Um, <laughs> and, um, and that was, that caught me by surprise. I always thought that, you know, the selling your company would be a, a, a like a joyous event. And for me, it was actually, it was, ha- I was happy for like maybe five minutes. And then I was just depressed. Uh, I felt like I'd lost my purpose and I didn't know what, what I would do next. Oh, wow. Well, it's a, it's a, I mean, the story to this point, you know, it's, um, I mean, you've been climbing the ladder um, of entrepreneurship since the very beginning, you know what I mean? Just starting out being fascinated by it in general. Um, and then, you know, building companies, um, learning about what it's like to build a company, learning about, like you said, customer acquisition, try to think like, I mean, I think a lot of mistakes that entrepreneurs make early on is that they make assumptions about what they want the customer or what the customer wants rather than going and talking to them. Um, And you got to like, that's the only way that you can think like them. You know what I mean? Um, It's just like, I actually heard this really good salesman related back to fishing one time. And he was like, Mm. you know, you put a worm on a hook and you got to think like the fish. I mean, the fish is just interested in in eating something that it wants um, or something that looks like a fish. And, And so you have like, you can't just throw, you know, um, like a, a, a burnt hot dog on there and think it's going to eat. You you have to know what it wants. You have to know what the customer wants you to know, and then you can devise a product around that. Um, but like you mentioned too, like what I want or what someone, the founder wants is going to be different than what all these other different people want. You know, we're all different people. We all have different interests, just like the restaurant. So you know, you touch upon that, which is great. And now it seems as though, you know, as you keep climbing the ladder, um, you've had some successes with starting a company, getting people to buy into it and then, and then selling it. And here we are, you know, fast forward a little bit to you founding Ada and, Mm -hmm. and, and diving into that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're at today 
um, sure. with yeah. that story and, and how you guys are doing and what you guys are doing over at Ada. Yeah, happy to. Um, yeah, I think just just building for a second on what you just mentioned on the fishing analogy, I think that's so true. I think entrepreneurship is this delicate balance, requires this delicate balance between curiosity and commitment. You have to yep. be committed to the to the, your success, committed to the outcome, committed to the process, but fundamentally curious along the way. You can't be too attached to uh, how you're going to be successful or how you're going to get there. Um, but I think it's that attachment that, I, in my own experience as an entrepreneur, at least, can can has really blinded me. Um, so it's about commitment and curiosity, and I think it's it's about avoiding attachment. And that's really what the story behind Ada really is. I, I the, the fourth kick at the can was I started uh, a company called Volley, which was all about social search. Effectively, mm. it was a, I grew, I was building on my mobile skills and building on, you know, the, the, the mobile revolution. And I was interested in the future of search on online. How, how can we use this new social web to help people connect over problems that they're facing and what percentage of Google inquiries might be better served by a person and not a website. And in short, this company was, I was so attached to the outcomes. This is definitely the future. I knew, I knew in my mind for sure the search is going to be social and um, Volley at one point was growing very quickly. And we encountered this customer service problem. We couldn't scale our customer service operations in line with our user growth. In short, we had a lot of users who were really, uh, at, at first, super happy with us because we were answering every one of their questions and we were making the product feel like theirs. You know, they really felt like they were part of the team because we were so responsive. Yep. But as we grew, we had so many users that we couldn't answer everyone. The wait times started to become long. Our customers started you know, they went from being sort of people to being numbers. And, you know, what started to happen is we, we started to avoid our customer contact. Or we, started to, we started to avoid talking to customers as we got bigger. And I think that what I learned from that is that that really typifies how most businesses approach customer service today. Is that mm-hmm. as you get bigger as a company, you talk to your customers less. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And so I, I started to, I started, that started to become the genesis for what became Ada. You know, we, we started to realize that, Hey, this is a problem. We, we should be talking to our customers more as we get bigger, not less. You know, we, we, this customer feedback is more valuable to us as, as we become more successful and, and build a bigger and bigger company. Um, so how, how do we, how can we do that? Yeah. That's so important. You see some of the best companies just even like making recommendation, like you go on Amazon, you buy something and they're like, Hey, take a look at these things too. You know, people who have bought this also buy this for these reasons. And, and they get that data from, like you said, staying in front of customers, talking to them. So yeah, keep going. Cause this is really fascinating. Yeah. That's, I think that's another good example. And so, you know, I, I became really fascinated with that problem and I, I became very interested in the software that companies use as they get bigger to communicate with their customers. And my co-founder, David, and I, we use virtually every customer service, customer experience software product out there from the you know, SMB entry level sort of ticketing systems like the help scouts and the intercoms of the world, all the way through up to the super big company products like the 
avayas and genesises of the world. And what we learned is that all this software is fundamentally designed to help you speak to your customers less, not more. Like it, it, it's all rooted in the same paradigm, you know? And it's, it's the reason that Ada today, we talk a lot about the difference between a, a coffee shop and a bank. You know, you can go to a coffee shop like three times, maybe well, even twice. And, you know, on the second or third visit, they'll know your name. Your name's Joe. They know your favorite off. Uh, they, they know your favorite uh, order, like whatever you like your Americano or whatever. And they know that you're probably like, whatever, a Bills fan or something. They know something about you. Yeah. And, um, and it's pretty amazing how that co- experience contrasts with like your bank where you can, you can be banking there for 40 years. You can do like, you know, a thousand visits and you show up on your thousands in the first visit and they don't even know who you are mm-hmm. and they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and so that, that, that's, that's pretty shocking. And I think it, it's a big missed opportunity. And in short, it's what, it's what got us very curious at, at Volley about this customer experience problem. And, you know, speaking of, of the lesson of getting out of the building, it led me to pick up the phone. And I, I cold called a bunch of VPs of customer experience at big companies who I thought were solving this problem. And I asked them, hey, you know, I haven't been having this problem in our small company, scaling our customer service. How are you doing it? How are you talking to your customers more, not less, as you get bigger? And they all said, we're not. In fact, most of them laughed at me because they, 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 they were so familiar with that problem. And when I heard the eighth person in a row laugh, I said, okay, there's a pattern here. We're going we're gonna to explore this more deeply. And this seems like a far bigger and actually more interesting and potentially more impactful problem than the one we're currently solving. We pivoted the whole business into the customer experience space. We went back to those VPs of customer service. We said, hey, remember me? I'd like to join your company. And seven of the eight said, sure. And David and I joined their teams as customer service reps. They hired us. And we served as customer service reps for a better part of a year for seven different companies, just answering customer service inquiries across the phone, live chat, email. And we learned firsthand how to provide, how difficult it is to provide a great customer experience in a rapidly scaling company. And it was, it was a totally monotonous and, uh, fascinating experience. Sure. I think that's probably a good, 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 good two words to, to explain it. Most of my friends and family thought I was crazy and really questioned what I was doing with my life. <laughs> um, because I was really, we were working, you know, crazy hours and we were juggling a lot of jobs at once. And, you know, we, we weren't, you know, we, 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 it wasn't clear what the end game was and we ourselves didn't know what the end game was, but we did it because we had a hunch that there was something pro- there was a major problem here and we wanted to understand it better than anyone else. And we did, I think. I think we we learned fundamentally three key things from being agents and working with some amazing customer experience teams. The first thing we learned is that 30% or more of the inquiries that the teams we were a part of were were responding to were repetitive and mundane questions. Like most, most of them, most of the questions, sometimes in some cases actually it's upwards of 80%. These are like really basic inquiries that if you or I were joined, join the team on day one, you could be like, I could help with that. You know, I don't even need, you know, if it's like if I were to join on demand storage, you know, like there's a bunch of questions I'm sure that require me getting ramped and knowing a lot about the company and the intricacies of the, of your upper, of your operations. Sure. But a good chunk of the inquiries, chances are, are going to be simple things that, you know, I on day one can help with. How do I reset my password? 
you know, how do I refund the order? How do I, uh, where, what's your email? What's your, what's your phone, like phone number, basic things. Right. And so that, that was the first thing we learned. The second thing we learned was that the actual agent experience of responding to these customers inside the software that we were using was pretty lackluster. And that really bothered us because we get out of bed in the morning because at least I should speak for myself. I get out of bed in the morning because I love building delightful software. I know David, David, David feels the same way. It's like there's a craft to software that um, felt like it was lacking in the software that we were using. And furthermore, it became clear that there was a disconnect between the incentives of the software vendor and the agent, like our felt, uh, we as agents. In other words, the software vendors didn't have an incentive to make us more productive as agents because the business model precluded that. The business model was to sell more agent seats and therefore the, the software wasn't incentivized to make agents more productive because it would have undermined the number of seats they could sell. And so that's why it felt like, you know, we weren't, we could, we could have been more productive. The software could have helped us more, but it wasn't really incentivized to. Sure. And then the third thing we learned is that everyone wanted to offer more live chat and messaging support. Like all our colleagues were like, hey, we, 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 should, we should be texting with our customers, not emailing them. We shouldn't be talking to them over the phone. Like we should be talking to them over WhatsApp and live and, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger and, and channels that like are actually modern. And, um, and we, it, it was clear the businesses couldn't afford to support those channels because they were, again, the whole paradigm is we're going to talk to our customers less as sure. we get bigger. Yep. You know, customers, yep. customer contact's a bad thing. It's a cost center. And so that that's really gave us a window into the, the pains of scaling um, and what precludes better customer experiences at, 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 at scale. And so that was the problem. I think there's a really interesting lesson here that may be interest, maybe of interest to the, the audience. We still haven't written a single line of code and built any software at this point. Wow. And that that for me was has been core to Ada's success. And the, the insight is is for me at least is as follows. Software is not inherently valuable. Software exists to scale some physical process that exists in the real world. Your ability to understand that physical process allows you to build better software. So it behooves you to understand that physical process better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were committed to doing in the early days of ADA. We, we resisted the temptation to write a single line of code. We kept our heads down and we became the most productive agents in many cases on each one of these teams. We just, we just, we answered thousands of inquiries and we, we were just super focused on being as productive as we could be. And we saw churn go down, meaning, you know, the customers of the businesses we were working for were less likely to leave them. They were more happy because we were answering, you know, uh, the customer service inquiries faster. And that's like, you know, not a, a profound insight, but like, you know, if you get help quick, more quickly, people like your business more, like yep. big surprise. Two, we saw that the eight agents actually liked their jobs more. They were less likely to leave their jobs and that's a really big deal because in big companies, customer service agents typically leave at a rate of about 50% every year. And 
It turns out if you remove the how do I reset my password questions, people like their jobs more. They're actually answering more complicated problems that are more satisfying, intellectually stimulating to respond to. And then third, we learned that customer service data is super interesting. It's very valuable. It contains sales opportunities. It shouldn't be siloed in some department that no one cares about. It should be informing core company decision-making. And it felt like a goldmine, frankly. And that is when we said, okay, the software, we're under so much pain ourselves. Like this is so physically painful for us that the product we started to build was almost like medicine. It's, it's this, I think that's maybe the second insight. It's like experience the pain deeply enough yourself that the software becomes medicine. It takes the pain away. And that's how you know it works. And so we started to build software that made our own lives easier, that made us more productive as agents. We took a machine learning approach to that because we had access to so much data. It felt like a natural way to take the pain away. And then we focused on making the machine learning tools we developed as easy to use as possible because all our colleagues were non-technical. And those insights, by the way, if you were to not get out of the building and not work within the teams, you wouldn't have those insights. It's not an academic problem. It's not a theoretical problem. It's a lived experience that we had. And what happened was that we started to build software that started to automate customer service inquiries. We actually knew it was working because we weren't fired from our jobs. We were just running the software and we kept our jobs. It was working. Wow, like this is working well enough. We're still getting our paycheck. And we're automating these inquiries, like, you know, we're onto something here. Uh-huh. And what started as a sort of basic FAQ chatbot builder, you know, three and a half years ago, has evolved now into an enterprise automation software that in the last year automated more than a billion and a half customer interactions for some of the fastest growing companies in the world. Wow. We, um, we, we now believe that Ada is poised to be the leader in a fundamentally new way that businesses speak with their customers. Um, one that is rooted in speaking to your customers more, not less as you scale. Mm-hmm. And one that's ultimately, ultimately unlocks a better customer experience. One where you're not waiting on hold. One where you're not having passed from manager to manager. One where you as a customer are empowered to get the help you're actually looking for from a business. And it's been a it's been a, a really really exciting journey, and one that we're just in the middle of. We've gone from, you know, being about a hundred people a year and a half ago. We're now two fifty. We're going to hire two hundred people this year, wow. um, and uh, it, it's it's been um, in many ways. I know it's it's like the biggest cliche ever to say, but we really do feel as though we're in the early innings of this. Still, that's how big a, a an opportunity we see in front of us.